after I got done having this conversation that I'm about to have with this guest, I felt like I was shaken. Like I was this snow globe and the snow was whirling around. It was it was a kind of a good shaking, like a, a, a wake up, Rich. <laughs> and it, uh, it's a powerful conversation. It's a conversation that you're going to want to listen to. If you are seeking that, that next tool or technique, if you're looking and searching in, in psychology or spirituality for the answers, this is the episode that you need to listen to because he's going to be talking about what's behind your experience of life. He's going to be talking about the other 96% of the universe. And it is my honor and privilege to have with me as my guest. His name is Dickon Bedinger. And he has been a uh, coach and a practitioner and a trainer for many, many years. He got to work with and met a enlightened Scottish mystic, a man who had a ninth grade education and who had this enlightenment experience and became this speaker, this transformative, powerful person whose name was Sidney Banks. Dickon is going to tell us about that experience, and he's going to tell us about how he went from being this, this psychological and spiritual experimenter, how he went from, from only sleeping four hours a night and journaling all of his dreams and meditating multiple hours a day to actually living his life and having a rich experience of life. I am your host. My name is Rich Life. This is the Rich Life Realization Podcast. We are going to explore the richest life possible. I don't mean rich like like ostentatious lifestyle lifestyles over the rich and famous kind of rich. I'm talking about rich like like chocolate. Like there's a certain a certain savoring, a certain vibrancy and texture and appreciation. That's what I mean by rich life. And today, welcome to my guest. Dickon Benninger. Hi, Dickon. Hey, thanks, Rich. Yeah, it's so, so exciting to have you. Today, we're going to be talking about what's behind the experience of life. And we'll start, I think, with, with Dickon. I, I, I mentioned a little bit of your story. And you wanted to start with, maybe maybe we'll start with when you first found the three principles understanding what is now called the three principles. It wasn't called that then. I don't think. No, it wasn't. Well, mm -hmm. first of all, thanks rich for 
inviting me to talk with you about this topic that's near and dear to me, uh, helping people find a richer life. Okay. I, I I think we can pretty much say Forrest Gump was right. Life is a box of chocolate. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I like that way of thinking about it is, I think everybody is looking for a richer life. Mm -hmm. I know I was so that I could share that with all the teens that I had been working with who were struggling as many teens are now, the rate of anxiety and depression and, uh, and suicide among teens has gone way up. And so I, I was teaching high school and I looked younger than the high school kids I was teaching. And <laughs> so they somehow figured I was in a different category and I was safe to, for them to come up and share their problems. So I had so many students coming to me to talk about their problems. The head of the guidance counselor pulled me aside and he said, what are you doing? You're talking to more kids than we are. <laughs> and I said, I can't help it. They just come up and start sharing things about their life and their struggles and their difficulties at home. And some of them are suffering abuse and neglect and and or constant fights and they want an understanding ear, which I've studied communication skills for years and years, so I can listen to them and then and, and share with them things I've learned about communication that might be helpful to them. And it, it did help an awful lot of kids just to have an understanding listening adult who didn't judge or criticize or uh, and shared with them some things that they found helpful. Well, it and, sounds like you, you had a lot of clarity even then that the, the principles were operating in a, in a, a positive way through you then, even though you didn't know what they were called. Well, all I, all I knew is that there must be things in the world you can teach people that helps them have an easier time of life. Hmm. That's all I was interested in. So I started studying and studying, and I got my master's in counseling psychology. And then I went back and taught for a few more years in high school. Um, then I went back and got my doctorate in counseling psychology. But I was always interested in teachers that were talking about well-being. And there were some people like Carl Rogers and Abram Maslow who talked about well-being and being self-actualized and living from well-being and being connected to well-being. And my teachers in college were colleagues and friends of Carl Rogers. So I was steeped in a 
psych psychological understanding that deep inside people are have well-being and that was very different than the prevailing attitude is uh, people get broken and damaged by life events and then deep inside you have brokenness you have damage that's our the core of people so you have to in therapy get them to talk about their damage their wounds, their pain, and focus on it and think about it. And I worked for 10 years as a psychologist before I came across a man who had a very different understanding of psychology. And at that point, Rich, there were four, Yale University did a study and there were 450 different theoretical approaches to psychology. Everybody had a different theory. There were no universal principles that underlie the whole field. They were only theoretical constructs and everybody had a different theory. So therefore everybody had a different approach and everybody had different techniques. And so I was determined to learn as many techniques as I could. <laughs> That would it be wasn't. exhausting. Sounds exhausting. I, I don't think you would have run out. I was sleeping four hours a night. Hmm. I was doing four hours of meditation a day. See, I was trying to find techniques that I could experiment with, and if they worked or helped me, I could share them with my clients. And everybody had techniques. So there was the Freudians... And they had techniques for how to help people and uh, dream work and free association and going into the past and looking at finding unconscious content and memories. The cognitive psychologists looking at thought content. What are you thinking? What were you thinking? Let's examine the content and try and shift it into more positive content. Mm -hmm. You had the existential humanists who were looking at feelings and emotions and trying to get in touch with feelings and cathartic feelings. Uh, then you had the behaviorists. These are the three main schools, ones that have to do with thought content one that had to do with feeling content, one that had to do with behavioral content. Mm -hmm. So everybody was examining what had already been created in people. So people would come in to see you and say, what happened to you? What's going on? And you'd start talking about what happened to that person yesterday or, or the day before or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. And you'd say, well, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? What did you do? And let's examine. And so each different major approach in psychology would look at thought content, feeling content, or behavioral content. Mm. That was it. And that's been the paradigm prominent in psychology for a couple hundred years. If we can become more aware of what you were thinking, what you were feeling, what you were doing, 
that awareness will help you then make choices where you can change to more positive thinking, more positive feeling, more positive behaviors with tons of techniques <laughs> for each different approach. So I was meditating four hours a day. I trained myself to wake up at the end of REM sleep. So I had five full-length dreams every night that I had written down during the night by flashlight, my poor wife. And I was doing affirmations. I had an affirmation notebook. I was doing cognitive therapy, mm -hmm. thought restructuring. I, I was doing uh, behavioral work. I was doing, you name it. Yeah. Cathartic work, a lot of cathartic work, trying yeah. to access deeper feelings of pain and, and cathart them. Express and release them. Yes. And in a, in a lot of the same way as I was trying to experiment with, with feeling better. And uh, I, you were speaking about affirmations. I have notebooks full. Yeah of affirmations and was meditating. I would try anything that I think might work and then add that into my, my list of, of, of tools, Qigong, meditation, cold showers. I felt like I was, I was an experimenter. You, a lot of you were part of, uh, massive worldwide group of people interested in what I would call self-improvement yeah. which is based on the premise something's wrong and you got to fix it or something is wrong and you can make it better or something is wrong and you can manage that in a way that you can do better so it was always based on being dissatisfied with how you were and wanting to be better no one was saying you're perfect as you are. You just have a misunderstanding about life. But there's nothing you need to fix or change because you're not broken. And it was very interesting, Rich. I'd, I'd been a psychologist for 10 years. I had a successful practice. A lot of the things that I was learning and sharing with people did help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not, I'm not in any way suggesting they're wrong or bad, but every science evolves. I mean, look at a hundred years ago, if you had a fever, they'd go, well, you have bad blood. They send you to a barbary. They'd cut you, drain out as much of the bad blood as possible. And that was the cure for fevers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or, or I mean, you look at how medicine has evolved. Psychology hadn't really evolved from its basic premises in a couple hundred years. Hmm. So it was inevitable as a science that at some point someone would make a discovery and things would evolve. So I'd been a psychologist 10 years, constantly searching, going to workshops, going to trainings, leading workshops, leading trainings, teaching skills, learning skills, passing them on. And 
And then I heard about a man who had had an enlightenment experience, man from Scotland, man who only had a ninth grade education, grew up poor, had a very challenging childhood. And he wasn't a searcher. He was a welder in a, <laughs> in a pulp mill, uh, that, uh, a mill that turned lumber into paper. And uh, he had worked there for 13 years and was a hard worker. And <clears throat> um, he was from Scotland. Uh, so he has a, he had a Scottish accent. And he had something that's very, very rare in the history of mankind. He, he, he had a spontaneous enlightenment experience. And he went from being a welder with a ninth grade education to teaching at universities to having the West Virginia University Medical School form a whole department in his name to do research on his work. Hmm. That he was suddenly winning awards and he became a worldwide teacher. And when I heard, I was also very interested in spiritual teachings because they also offered the promise of more well-being. Yeah. And there were lots of techniques that were available for people to do spiritual practice, including meditation. So I studied with some pretty amazing spiritual teachers from all different religious traditions because I was just looking for what worked and what helped. And a lot of things did temporarily help and work. I think I found that too, that, that I... I'd be like, oh, this was really great. And then, okay, now this needs to be a part of the practice of every single day. Yes. I kept adding more things to me. <laughs> That's why I was only sleeping four hours a day by the time I met Sid Banks and hmm. meditating for two hours in the morning, one hour at lunchtime, an hour just before bed because I had two young kids. So it's, uh, and then I woke up and had to do dream work and I was reading three self-help books every week at structured journals, unstructured journals, affirmation notebooks, the dream work the, was no end to it. Yeah, you no can, you can technique yourself <laughs> all my, the way. My, my wife used to say to me, Dick, and I don't know anyone that I've heard of that works harder on themselves than you do. And I thought it was a compliment. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> and what she meant was, you're working so hard, but that's all you do. Yeah. It's a full-time job. Not, you come home and you're thinking about 
your dreams, you're thinking about your thoughts, you're thinking about your feelings, and you're and you're reading things that help you focus even more and more on your thought content, your feeling content, your behavior content, and you're becoming less and less present. I'm losing the guy I fell in love with. Yeah. You're always thinking about things. And I'm going to my wife, her name is Koizy. I said, Koizy, a life unexamined is not a life worth living. And if you don't do the work, you won't get better. And as a matter of fact, you should read these books and you should start <laughs> doing these techniques and you should be working because if you don't work, you won't get better. And that was the prevailing notion. Yeah. You have to do the work. Even still, people talk about I'm doing the work. I'm well, doing uh, the work. You, you might appreciate this, uh, a metaphor that I, I found for this. And, and that's in math, there is a, a line called an asymptote. And there is, do you remember graphing, graphing yes. lines mm -hmm. and, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. In high school math. And there's a line yeah. that, that, that goes, it curves and it gets closer and closer and closer to this line but it will never meet. It gets infinitely closer. Mm. And I, I, I feel like that's kind of what, what you were doing is, is pushing yourself infinitely closer to this line. But the funny thing is you were, since you were coming from a, a, a misunderstanding of how it worked, mm. that you can't ever connect with it that you would never see beyond that thinking that is creating your push, your drive. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to get there. Yeah. It, it, it's like trying to change the direction of a train by improving the caboose <laughs> and not yeah. even knowing that there's an engine driving the whole thing. And, and, that's what's so great about this. It's like I met Sid Banks and he had had this experience of going so deeply beyond his conceptual mind, his intellect, into what he describes as this infinite field of energy that we're all connected to. And now this is exactly what the top scientists in the world are saying is scientific is that there's an infinite field of energy and you can call it that, you can call it the quantum field, you can call it pure energy, but there's this infinite field of formless energy that out of which everything in the universe is created. And when things die, they go back into this field of energy. So they say energy can't be destroyed or damaged. It just changes form. It's always the same field of energy. It's like the ocean keeps taking different forms on waves and the waves 
in a sense, die, but the ocean never changes. The ocean is the same ocean. And so Sid Banks in his enlightenment experience, I, I said, Sid, did you have a near-death experience? Because you said you went beyond your mind into this field of white light. You had no references, no concepts, no ideas of yourself or life or anything. And you had the most profound experiences of aliveness and love that you've ever experienced. And I, I said, a lot of people have near-death experiences where they describe that same process. Is that what happened to you? And he said, no, I didn't go into that field of light and then at some point come back. I went all the way through to the absolute nothingness that's the source of life. And it's interesting hearing like a recent research study from North American Space Agency, the scientists, all these top scientists studying the energy of just our universe, not the multiverses, but our universe. And the conclusion was after years of study that if you take and everything that can be seen with instrumentation from the biggest telescopes to the most powerful subatomic microscopes, anything that has form, and you put it all together, and if you measure the energy of everything in the universe that has form, it only accounts for 4% of the energy in the universe. Yeah. And that the 96% of the universe is dark energy or dark matter. And in other words, it's formless energy. 96%. And so it makes a difference whether we think we're separate beings or whether we feel like our physical body is connected to this field of energy because it's made of energy and it's being operated by that field of energy. Something is beating our hearts. Something is creating electrical chemical activity in our brain 24-7. There's some source to that activity. In the same way, if you look at what makes a computer work, you can't just take apart every piece of the computer and find the answer to that question. You have to understand that in order for a computer to compute, it needs energy. And energy needs to come from an energy source that generates that energy. So at some point, you, if you talk about how a computer works, you have to understand there's a power source outside of the computer. Mm -hmm. That's just common sense. Or if you want to understand how a radio works, you have to understand there's radio waves surrounding us at all times. <laughs> if you tune in right, you can hear the music, but it's already here mm -hmm. in, a, in a form of energy that we can't see. It's invisible. Uh, this is what Sid Banks was interested in. And then he realized from his direct experience of dying psychologically and finding out there was a living field of energy that never died 
and that we're connected to that energy and we're part of that field of energy. The 4% can come and go, but the 96% always here. We're human 4% beings. We all share the same being. We all share this field of life energy the way every wave on the ocean shares the ocean. One ocean, many waves. One being, many humans. And that's a new understanding for psychology. Because then you get interested in not what's been created. 4% of the human being, our thought content, our feeling content, our behavior content. We get interested in what's doing the creating. And from Sid's direct experience, his advice to people was, if you want to experience your true self, which is the 100%, your true nature, which is the 96%, or your spiritual nature, which is the formless. It's just another word for formless, invisible, mysterious, but dynamic. He says, you have to be willing to go beyond your intellect, your conceptual mind. Because any concept will reduce infinity down to a thought, down to a concept, down to an idea. But no concept or idea can contain truth. It's impossible. So here, 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 here's the cool thing about this. Every human being can wake up to the fact that they're a thinker. And that a lot of the thinking we do, this power of thought, this energy, this formless energy, will create what we're experiencing, what we're feeling. But it's being created by the power of thought. Thought content isn't a power. The parts of the computer are not the power. They're needed to channel that power into a specific form so the power of thought creates thought content, which is brought to life as feeling experience. So if a sad thought is created, you feel sad. An anxious thought, you feel anxious. Uh, a loving thought, you feel loving. And it's always working that way for every human being, and nobody knows it. Because if you ask people, as I have all over the world, what are you feeling? Very few people ever, ever would say, well, that's obvious. It's just what thoughts are being created in me at this moment. That's what I'm feeling. They'll <laughs> say, I'm feeling, and then here comes the 450 theories. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling this way because of my past, because of my personality, because of my genetics, because of my biology, because of my parents, because of my upbringing, because of my nationality, because of my culture, because of my life situation, because of the people around me. Those are all part of the theoretical structure that's looking for something in the world that has the power to create. So we innocently have been blaming for hundreds of years. If you feel stress, let me see, what in the world can I blame for my stress? Oh, I'm going to blame this person is stressing me out, or I'm going to blame this situation 
for stressing me out. You say, well, if it's the person, why doesn't that person stress out everybody they talk to? <laughs> and why are some people not even affected by the stuff they're saying that you say causes you stress? Mm -hmm. Or if you say this situation is causing you stress, like I went into a big company and I asked how many people feel stress because they did professional trade magazines where they had to publish a lot of magazines on a monthly deadline that was solid. And half the people in the room raise their hand. The closer to deadline, the more stress I feel. But it was only half. Hmm. So I said to the other half of the room, why don't you feel more stress as you come close to deadlines? You know what? They had different thinking. Yeah. And different thinking creates different feelings, whatever you think you're going to feel. And if you keep thinking thoughts that create stress, you'll keep feeling it. And so everybody, every client I've worked with from four-year-olds to 94-year-olds has the capacity to wake up to the fact that they're living in a thought-created reality. And boy, does that change things because I like I couldn't blame a lot of my feelings on my wife anymore. She was thrilled, <laughs> thrilled when I met Sid, Sid Banks because I had to take response. My feelings are coming from my thinking, not from you. Mm -hmm. But boy, was that empowering. I'd get upset and realize, oh, there's only one reason I'm holding on to thoughts that are creating stress. And I'm thinking those thoughts are true. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's who I am. But if I am the thinker, I can also let go of those thoughts. I have free will. And if I let go of any thoughts, I come back to the present moment. I'm no longer thinking. Come back to the present moment. And those stressful thoughts go away. My upset would go away. That's what we call in psychology being resilient. So as people learn that they're thinkers, they become extremely resilient. In other words, no problem getting upset. They know it's a temporary thought-created experience, mm -hmm. and they, as the feeling invites them to let go of that thinking completely, yeah. come back to the present moment, and they become resilient. And that's one of the hallmarks of well-being is you have everything you need already to be resilient. You have everything you need. So Sid Bank says thought is one of the universal principles because it's a force that creates our experience. Another way of talking about that field of energy, it's what allows us to be aware of life. So it's Consciousness was another principle. All human beings think, all human beings are conscious beings, and all human beings have a mind. But Sid defined mind as not just the 4% of our brain, but the 4% of our brain connected to this field of intelligent, formless life energy. Mm -hmm. So the very 
the 96% of life energy that's living us, that's our essence, that without which we couldn't live, we would have no source. We would be dead instantly without being connected to a field of energy. No human, nothing could exist, nothing. Because Not, it's all created and lived and sustained by that field of energy. So every human being thinks, every human being has a mind and every human being can be aware that they think and they can be aware that they're connected to an intelligent field of energy and that as our minds clear, it's built into us to feel better and to think better. Why is that? Because we're connected to this intelligent field. Often it's called wisdom. So Sid Banks said, I've discovered the fundamental principles that are universally true, always have been true, always will be true, that can explain every bit of human psychological experience. There's no experience that's not created by mind, consciousness, and thought. The formless creative power generating thought-created experience and bringing it to life. It's how it's been working. That's how, <laughs> how we all work. Whatever thoughts are created in us in the moment, we'll feel. And if we hold on to our thinking, we keep feeling it. And if we let go of our thinking, those thoughts go back into the field of energy and they're not being created. So we stop feeling tension, stress, anxiety, upset, depressed. When our head's clear of everything we're thinking, we always feel better. That's That's been one of the best news because I think if you hear, oh, your, your thoughts create reality, you think, oh, I have to change my thoughts. Yes. And you become a a mood manager like i was i was a mood manager yeah and now we can fire the mood manager because there's something within us yeah. that will do it infinitely better than we can and we can let go and let the mood man the the infinite mind yes come forth that's what that's why when I talk with clients, I need to talk about the principle of mind that we're connected to an infinite field of intelligent life energy. And it knows how to create life, it knows how to operate life, it knows how to run your pancreas, it knows how to beat your heart, it knows how to run your mental activity so you can have experience. It knows how to create everything in the universe. And when we let go of managing and controlling, which is sort of the best psychology has been able to offer people. If you let go of managing and controlling, you don't become stupid. You become more present, more awake, more alive, more creative, more loving. We already have perfect well-being deep inside of us. There's no exception to that. I've worked with people who have spent their life in mental institutions or spent their life in prisons. And 
when they begin to see what got them into trouble in the first place was their own thinking. And by understanding how that works, they can begin to just relax into the present moment and access well-being because they start learning it's always there. And it's always going to rise up when our head's clear. And you can't think your way to well-being or to wisdom. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. It's the wrong tool for the job. Yeah, it's just a... It's trying to get the intellect to do what it was never built for. Mm. You won't get love or wisdom out of a computer. You'll get lots of cool information that can be stored. So there's a value to the intellect. Mm -hmm. But we weren't meant to live in the intellect. And more and more, you'll see when people are having difficulty, they're consumed by their own negative thinking and they think it's true and they're giving lots of attention to it and holding on to it and believing it. If you believe a, a, a thought is true, like I'm stupid, that'll, you're holding that thought is true, so it'll, you'll continue to feel that way. Hmm. Right? As soon as you realize, well, that's just a thought. It's only a thought. It's not who I am. It's just a temporary created thought content. If I let it go, it goes back into the 96%. It's just energy. <laughs> it's, it's not always, that thought is not always here. It only lasts as long as I think it. Hmm. That's unbelievable. All the things we think are true about us only last as long as we think them. When we let go of them, we have a deeper identity. I am connected to universal creative force. I am connected to universal conscious force. I am connected to this intelligent life force. They're all three ways of talking about qualities of that field of being the 96 percent of the universe that's formless energy is critical and it's dynamic and that's what we need to get interested in right. I, I i think we we don't realize that we're holding on to thoughts we we're not even aware sometimes that we're we're doing it and but we the feeling will show us yeah the feeling of the thought the the i went into a low mood uh a couple days ago and didn't realize that i was holding on to thoughts and and like you said believing them yeah until i let them dissipate and and then i'm like oh well when once you realize that you're you're holding them then letting go is is easy. Well, it's like this. If you if I put something really hot in your hand and you held it, mm -hmm. it hurt like hell. And if you didn't know that you were doing what caused your pain, you wouldn't let go. 
you wouldn't even know that's where the pain was coming from. Once you realize I'm feeling pain because I'm holding something that's really hot and that's why I'm feeling pain. You don't need a technique. <laughs> you don't need a book. You don't need a teacher. You automatically like, oh, why? Because it makes sense. It doesn't make sense to hold something that creates pain. Now, if people don't know that it's their own thinking brought to life that's creating their pain, they don't let go of it because they don't even know that's the problem. Because I ask people, why are you depressed? Oh, and then my past, my situation, my biology, my tons of reasons. It's never because I'm holding negative thought and thinking it's true. That's the only reason I'm depressed. Why are you anxious? I'm holding what I didn't realize was my own thinking. Because you ask people who are anxious, why are you anxious? They don't go, it's <laughs> some thoughts I'm holding on to and believing. That's that's why I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with being depressed or anxious or sad. or I feel all those things, but it makes a difference where you think it comes from. Mm -hmm. It comes... All of psychology has been an outside-in paradigm. The world makes you feel bad. There's something in the world that's causing you to feel the way you do. And Sid Banks comes along and says, that's not scientific. It's not principle-based. The formless energy of life is what's creating your thought experience. That's what in quantum physics, it w the, there would be no quantum physics if they didn't understand there's a quantum field and matter is a temporary condensation of energy on a subatomic level. That's how, the, that's how the physicists sound like mystics. They say matter is an illusion. It's just a temporary condensation of energy. And that if you look at anything in the physical world, you can't find it because it's just energy dancing around and then it disappears into this field and doesn't exist. And then it shows up and then it disappears and then it shows up and disappears. So they talk about the quantum dance where form is just energy dancing in and out of life. And that, that's what thought is, is just temporary. It's energy temporarily condensed. And if you don't hold it, it goes back into the field of energy. Hmm. It's just a ripple on the ocean. It's not, it's not a problem to the ocean to have waves. Not something that need to be fixed, managed, or changed. <laughs> you only believe you need to be fixed, managed, or changed if you think you're broken. If you know you're whole. I mean, I was like a little wave comparing myself to all the other big waves on the ocean saying, I got to take courses that will help me become more assertive, more stronger, more courageous, more outspoken, more passionate. More, And I kept taking courses to try and teach me how to be a bigger wave. And I meet Sid Banks and he said, instead of looking out and comparing, Look within mm. and realize your magnificence, realize your connection to the whole field. 
and that'll get rid of your insecurity as it did mine. Sid Banks had enormous insecurities. He has his enlightenment experience and suddenly he's freed of those insecurities and he becomes a universal teacher, <laughs> well-respected, winning awards, getting recognition in universities, teaching doctors and nurses and lawyers and talking to quantum physicists and telling them why Einstein's theory of E equals MC squared couldn't be right. And they were blown away. And they told them, you're right. There are now physicists are pointing out the limitations of that formula. Now the three principles, as they're called, is being taught in countries all over the world. All over the world, I'm on the board of the three principal global community, and we have international communities all over the world. People learning and sharing and teaching the three principles in uh, uh, in universities, in high schools, and elementary schools, in prisons and mental health hospitals, to therapists, to coaches. In business, I worked for 16 years. I worked for 16 years for many companies, and the biggest was a multi-billion dollar, third largest defense contracting company in the world. And they loved this training because it was teaching people how to use their minds more wisely, how to be resilient. So you spend less and less time in stressful states, which compromise people's job performance. to learn how to access feelings of well-being, which improves teamwork and communication. Learn how to understand our connection to wisdom, which leverages and accesses people's ability to solve insolvable problems. <laughs> I worked with a uh, a man who taught advanced theoretical physics at MIT. And he loved learning about these principles because now he had the confidence that not he, 4% ego, could solve the problems, but wisdom can solve any problem. It's the intelligence that creates the universe. And the more people tap into that universal intelligence, the, the more we find creative solutions. So he would tell. It took three handprints to even get into his office. He was such high security and valued in the company. And he would say to the president of the company, you give me your insolvable problems. I'll take my team of people. We'll go into a room and we won't come out until we have a solution you're happy with that will solve your problem. And he could. He was confident, not in him or his team. He was confident in wisdom. And that he was and his team were had such a deep understanding of their connection to wisdom that they knew 
that they couldn't think their way to solutions. They could use their intellects wisely, but there's a limitation on what the, the computer can do. And then you close your laptop, set it down, and then see what new and fresh comes to you. And you get a room full of people doing that. Unbelievable how quickly problems can be solved. And I saw that just with my teenage kids, how I could sit down and we could move into instead of blaming and judging and being filled with feelings of stress and upset, we'd let that go and then get together in a good feeling and saying, okay, things aren't working very well. Let's find a, a new way of looking at this or, or doing this. And I wasn't always the one who came up with the answer as often my kids would go, Hey dad, what about this? What if we did this? What, what about this? And we keep going until we found an answer. Everybody was thrilled with. So parenting became fun. Every problem became opportunity to access greater well-being and wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The same infinite mind, infinite energy that gave Sid his experience, his enlightenment experience. Yes. Brings those those scientists and those those business businessmen and women wisdom. Yes. And it Same. brings your children wisdom and it brings us realizations and wisdom yeah. in at any moment. And that's the kind of the fun and cool thing about it is that it's always there to be able to access in any moment it can shine through at any moment at at any moment sid would say as you begin to understand that you're connected to a infinite field of spiritual energy that's full of intelligence and consciousness and creative potential you really see clearly the value of dropping into that field of energy. How do you do that? Going beyond all of your thinking, letting it go temporarily, temporarily, quieting down, becoming more aware of the quiet that's always inside us beyond the noise of our thinking and our ideas and our judgments and our shoulds and our have-tos and our can'ts. You go beyond the noise of that thinking. There's an inner quiet that's always there. And we become aware of that, our own presence. It's just energy. It's just a feeling. And then you become sensitive to the feeling of that energy flowing through you. When our minds are open, that energy flows and moves through us more freely. It's not blocked. When it's blocked, it creates tension, stress, upset. When it's when we're open-minded, it starts to flow again. And, and it feels good. It feels good. So Sid would say, look within, beyond your the thinking you're holding and stuck on and caught up in and believing, there's a space that's free of that thinking. Some people call it our soul. 
you can call it pure consciousness, awareness free of the contamination of our conceptual mind. And in that quiet, there's always the feeling of flow, of a nice feeling of opening up rather than contracting. And when we're in that feeling, it's full of spiritual knowledge, full of intuitive knowing that will guide us and bring us new and fresh ideas and answers, new and fresh perspectives, new and fresh feelings. Right? And we're that's built into us. It's our core. It's our essence. Yeah. Just like you say to a wave, look within, and you go, oh, my God, I'm water. And there's lots of water. Oh, I'm ocean. So you look beyond our personal thinking, and there's this field of conscious life energy. Right, and it's full of feeling and knowing. That's a universal teaching. I can teach that to a four-year-old. <laughs> I, I and I have, and I can teach it to scientists, and I can teach it. And as people begin to, when they feel tension and stress, stop blaming the world, and see it as an invitation to let go into this space of loving, knowing energy and oh my god life becomes a, a constant act of getting our thinking out of the way that's blocking and limiting our sense of life and filling up with beautiful feeling and knowing that will guide us through life in new and fresh ways and that's true of anybody it's true of anybody. I've worked with people with every psychiatric diagnosis. They have a perfect well-being inside, and they're as much ocean as anybody else. No one's more spiritual because we're all connected to the same field of spirit. Spirit is just a word that's used to say it's formless. It can't be seen or measured. The 96% of the universe it's just a word. A lot of times that word gets used to talk about content rather than formless. But the way I'm using the word, it's our nature. We're spiritual beings, 96%, connected to 4%, which is also spiritual being that's manifest in the form, and it's all the same energy. So that's the, our true self is the hundred percent. We're all of it. We're all, we're connected to the universe. So Sid talked about universal mind, universal consciousness, universal thought, infinite, nothing beyond it, infinite. So we step out of the limitations of our conceptual mind into the realm of infinite possibility. And anyone has access, like you said, Rich, anyone, anytime, or thought away from disengaging from limitation 
this generating tension, stress, and upset and being open and receptive to the flow of universal life energy, which will lift our spirits and bring us new and fresh. And that's the best news I've ever, ever found. It's now psychology is connected to the spiritual. Psychology is connected to the formless and it's all one field. So it's a new psychology, a new paradigm that includes the 96% that doesn't exclude it. Because otherwise, all you have to work with is the what's already been created. So something that's already been created, you attribute as having power to create your feelings. The traffic has the power to make you upset. How does it do that? It's not scientific. We've been attributing our feelings to unscientific causes for centuries. This is a breakthrough, an evolution on the field of psychology and psychiatry. Good news. Good news for all good of news. us. Good news. You, are, you have perfect well-being inside, always. Mm -hmm. Can't be damaged, can't be hurt. The source of love and wisdom is can't be damaged. <laughs> it's, it's like saying in physics, energy can't be destroyed. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. it, it just will change form, but is never destroyed. It's never damaged. And it's the same with us. When the wave goes quiet or flat, you could say the wave died, or you can say nothing died because nothing was born, nothing died. It's still the same water. <laughs> we like that too. So it's giving us a new understanding about birth and death and creative possibilities and participating in this magnificent field of life energy and its creative potential. It's ever higher and higher levels of consciousness, greater possibilities are built into the system. <laughs> it's not That's a matter really of self-improvement. Cool because it's infinite, we never have arrived. We, we can always explore it. That's right. There's always more to explore. It's yeah. not like any human being can say, oh, I've discovered it and that's done. <laughs> that would be like saying, I, I, I've arrived at the pinnacle of possibilities and I couldn't possibly be more creative, more loving, more compassionate, more of a change agent in the universe. I, I've arrived. Sid said, as soon as people say they think they understand the principles, which would be a little bit like somebody going, well, I understand God. I got, I got that. I got that. It, it, as soon as someone says they think they understand the principles, he said you should put the date on their forehead and know that's when they stop being open to new and fresh, to insights, to discovery. Yeah. Because there's no end to being open to possibility and discovery. So it's a lifelong, joyful participation in a creative process.
I don't think I don't think anything else would describe a richer experience of life than that. That's why I liked when you, when you said <laughs> it helps people have richer lives. I've witnessed that in myself, in my kids, in my wife, in my clients, and now in people all over the world. Any human being will benefit bec from becoming less burdened by thoughts that create tension, stress, and upset. Mm -hmm. There's no exception to that. If you're having to climb a mountain and you have 100 pounds of stones in a backpack, if you lose 20 pounds, it's already a much easier trip, <laughs> right? You, you lose 50 pounds, oh, my God, you, you, you can skip up the mountain. What a difference it makes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so every human being can benefit from having an understanding about thought that helps them be when I feel tension, I know I'm holding, I let go. I, what does that mean? I just come back to the present moment. It doesn't take any effort to be present. It takes effort to think. It doesn't take effort to be present. Any human being would benefit from experiencing higher levels of consciousness, greater awareness, great more understanding having a much greater understanding. So when you're with someone who's being very negative, instead of judging them yourself and becoming negative in the face of their negativity, you're more conscious, you have more understanding, you realize they're just caught up in their thinking, they're doing the best they can, and you have compassion for them. And your wisdom will guide you toward how to deal with them in a way that you don't get hurt, that you can be helpful of service. Uh, there isn't a human being that would, wouldn't benefit from realizing a greater connection to wisdom. Because then when you feel stress and tension and upset, it becomes an invitation to become open and receptive to what? to feelings that uplift, to love, and to new and fresh perspective that's helpful, wise, loving, full of common sense. That's wisdom. So there's not a human being that wouldn't benefit from gaining a deeper understanding of these principles. And I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen people get out of prison and never go back again and and live at higher levels of well-being than most people in society, <laughs> right? Yeah. At the programs we've done in prisons, the recidivism rate, the rate in which you go back into prison drops down to 10% instead of being 80%. That's it's unbelievable. Uh, I, I've worked in so many companies that as people become healthier, they become much more collaborative and creative and the company thrives. So mm -hmm. I've seen companies that were in the red go to being the lowest producers in their company to the highest. <laughs> it's exciting. It's just, it's, it, it, it's built into everyone already. We already have everything we need to live a full, rich life. 
that I think that encapsulates it. That I, well, <laughs> maybe not encapsulates it, but we have what we need to live a rich life. Yeah, we. Yeah, it's a new message in psychology. You're not broken. You're not damaged. You don't need to work forever to improve yourself. You don't have to control everything. You you can gain an insightful understanding that allows you to relax into life and access our innate well-being and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Anyone. You already got it. That's a very different message based on a, a paradigm that includes the 96% rather than exclude it innocently. Mm -hmm. But uh, if that's not part of the conversation, then we're missing the boat. It's not scientific. It's just theoretical based on 4% of what's seen. Not scientific. <laughs> this is a new science, really. Psychology as a science originally was the studyology of psyche. The psyche, that which gives life. Psyche comes from the word anima, which means soul, which means that which animates so originally, psychology was seen as the study of what animates human beings, and then it gradually got reduced to what could be seen and measured, thought content, feeling content, behavior content, and everything else got thrown out. Mm -hmm. The founder of American psychology, William James, talked about mind and consciousness all the time, and he said if the fundamental principles behind psychology were ever discovered, it would be an even greater discovery than the discovery of fire. And Sid Banks, a welder with a ninth grade education, he said, I didn't discover them. I fell into this space where they were revealed to me that I'm living in a field of infinite, intelligent, conscious, creative life energy and that's my true self my essence my core and it's the same essence and core for everybody who, who, who would think who, who would think but often great discoveries in science are made by people outside the field mm -hmm. or they just through accidents discover something more true about life. And there's a paradigm shift. Hmm. Well, well this is a good, good paradigm shift. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I think that so. Al that allows you and I and everybody to have a richer life. I think so. Thank you for, for sharing the, the, from your wisdom so that we can hear a little bit more deeply with our infinite mind from our infinite space mm. so thank you for being on the rich life podcast you're welcome rich <laughs> if people would like to reach out to you or, or find you where how would they best do that if they want to hear more about the principles 
I'm just an ordinary schmuck who's just <laughs> had tip of the iceberg kind of insights that have changed the quality of my life dramatically. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Dick and Bettinger's YouTube channel, and you'll find it. And it's wonderful. And I've listened to of, a lot of videos. Lots of talks on there, and it it's a resource. I, I would suggest, though, going to the source and listening to Sid Banks. Now, there's a YouTube channel that has every one of Sid. Sid died 14 years ago, and I was fortunate to have him be my teacher mentor for 23 years before he died. And I feel like he's still my teacher mentor. And there's a YouTube channel on Sydney Banks um, that has all the recorded public talks that he gave that are don't try to understand them with your intellect because every word he's speaking is pointing you to, toward letting go of your thoughts into this quiet space and being more aware of your own presence and aliveness and see what new and fresh comes out of that feeling. Mm-hmm. So he'd say it's all thought and listen for a feeling. Because it's in that feeling you'll find everything you're looking for. And he meant it. He meant it. So that's what I've been exploring. Quieting down, touching that quiet feeling space, and trusting where it takes me, where it guides me. That's all I'm interested in exploring. And then wisdom keeps revealing more and more to me about life and people and uh, helping me have shifts that make it easier to deal with anything in life, not take it so personally, be more resilient, have more compassion for people who are caught up and really making a mess of things in their life. Innocently, you see their innocence. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a beautiful thing. So... Sid Banks, my web channel. Um, and the other resource, one more rich, is the Three Principles Global Community website, 3PGC Global Community, 3PGC.org. Lots of resources. And if people want to keep learning more and uh, it's a phenomenal resource. If you would like a richer experience of life, visit those resources. Check out the the Dick and Bettinger's YouTube channel, the 3PGC, and especially Sid Banks's yes. YouTube channel. Yeah. Again, don't, thank don't you. Don't worry you. if you don't understand what Sid is saying. <laughs> no one does. Because he's pointing <laughs> you toward the 96% that can't be understood by the intellect, but you can realize it for yourself by dropping into it and experiencing it. You can. It's, anybody can. <laughs> it's free. 
<laughs> no paid subscription necessary. No paid subscription. I call it. <laughs> you I have an unlimited subscription. Unlimited Free subscription. subscription to wisdom. I, I call it the universal drop-in center. You can at any point <laughs> come back to the present moment, come home to this open receptive state and rest in that space and then start to fill up with nourishment. It's unbelievable the nourishment, the refreshments, refreshments served in the drop-in center, open to anybody. And the drop-in center is open 24-7. There's no bouncer on at the door. There's no door. And everyone's welcome. And when you drop in there, you get uplifted and you get guided. And one better thing to know is that you have that metaphorically within you at all times. Access to the field. To the spirit, to life, to being, to the being part of human. The 96%. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dickon, it was such a pleasure. Thank you again. And thank you for being on the podcast. You're welcome, Rich. Great talking to you. <laughs>